Welcome to the On Course Podcast, presented by New England Golf Journal. I am Sean Melia, joined, as always, by Jim McCabe. Jim, how's it going? It is going pretty well. Buongiorno, I should say. Yeah, buongiorno. Back from Italy. Back from Italy. It hasn't rained in like four days. Yeah, right. It's a good streak. The sun has been out. Yeah. And... The superintendents and their staff are doing a fantastic job. Leaf blowers are a wonderful invention. Yeah, it's been good. Good, good fall golf hack for me is I've I haven't done it yet this year. I haven't played a lot of golf this year in the fall. Yellow golf balls, good fall golf switch for me. I just buy. Is it? Yeah, wow. they're easier to see in in that like fall light, and they stand out a little bit from the leaves because that's always the challenge this time of year is that well, glare is. at is. certain points yeah. of the day when everything, it's really sunny. It, it, everything looks like a white golf ball. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. The, the sun catches one of those beautiful things that people love to see. Oh my God, it's foliage great. I said it, it, it'd be great if it stayed on the trees. Yeah. Once it comes down, it is not. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I did mention you were in Italy, you were in Italy during the Ryder cup, but Correct. not for the Ryder cup. Ryder Cup ended a couple of weeks ago now, but I, I feel like everyone's still talking about. It. I just wanted to ask you, not necessarily. I know you you wrote about how really it didn't hit the radar in the parts of it yeah, you were in, but you know, now that you're back, any any thoughts about the Americans' loss or some of the some of the stuff that's that's been going on afterwards or culture wise? Just any any big takeaways from from the Ryder Cup? I I hate to go to. <laughs> the first first Ryder Cup I covered was 1999, and I've been at every Ryder Cup up until 21. Yeah, was not at Whistling Straits in 21. Right, so that's and, 20 years of Ryder Cups. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been to, and honestly, they are starting to be like a Hollywood script where you need you got to check all the boxes. Okay, the first <laughs> first and foremost, we have to have a an undercurrent of controversy. Yep. As the Europeans probably say. <laughs> we need a controversy. And and I would go through the and I am not going to go through the list, but I could go through the list and tell you about every year. In fact, one year the British press made a huge story of the fact that Tiger Woods and David Duval played their practice rounds at seven AM, were done by ten thirty, and they hit balls for an hour, an hour and a half by noontime. They're done and the crowds during practice rounds, crowds yep. in it. I mean, that was, that was yep. a big, so every year there, okay, every two years when we play this thing, it's got to be that, there's got to be this, there's got to be that. Yep. This year it was, why is Patrick Cantlay not wearing a hat? And right. I thought it was, honestly, I, and I was kept coming, I'm coming in late to the game because I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, it. you were sipping covered. cappuccinos and, and yeah, relaxing like, oh, <laughs> he, Patrick Cantlay didn't wear a hat and I, in 2021 either. Yeah. Rory McIlroy did not wear a hat in his early Ryder yeah. Cups. He's Graham McDowell, the greatest image of, well, I take that back. The greatest image of a Ryder Cup of my era was Ian Poulter in 2012. At Medina. Yeah, the yeah, eyeball Saturday top, night. Yeah. popped out of his head yeah. on the fifth birdie in a row, blah, blah, blah. But Graham McDowell in 20 makes the winning play in the in the he beats Hunter Mahan in the last match, came down to the last match, wonderful Ryder Cup, four days, so much rain. Graham's not wearing a hat. Yep. Now is is Patrick Cantley wearing it because I um that's my silent protest. Whether he is or isn't, 
the money has always been since 1999 when it broke that there's always been an undercurrent of, hey, we should get paid for this. Yeah. But never to the point where people made a big deal of Patrick Cantley. It clearly didn't affect Patrick Cantley's play. No. He was probably one of the only. Him and Homer. Yeah, they were. were, He, Homer, and and probably Brian Homer played, I think, on a positive end. So spare me the the, the drama that one hat gate they're calling it. And oh my (laughs) goodness. But yet you need that in the Ryder Cup. Yeah. And then you need the crazy, this thing drives me bonkers. Sam Burns makes a putt and puts the ear to his hand to his ear. ear. Sam, you're you're getting your butt kicked. Truly, do you just spike a football like that when you're trailing sixty foot or nothing? Some guys do. They do because (laughs) and they look bad doing it. It's the script. It's the script. We're gonna check off all the boxes. Yep. I I find I'm I'm fearful how silly it's gonna get in New York in 2025. Yeah, because they almost say. Well, the only way we can win this is if the crowd get, puts a bug up the European button. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am a little concerned that it's becoming such a home field crazy. I agree. Let's, let's see who could be more crazy than the other because, quite honestly, I mean, I'm always amazed that every year everyone thinks the Americans are so much better. I mean, I, I think, I am not 100% sure, but, well, it's subjective, but the three best players in the world in September were Europeans. Yes. Rom, Rory, and Victor Hovland. Yes. You know. 100%. Um, I mean. And listen, at the end of the day. Um, and Cantlay is fourth in that. Like, those four guys yeah. played the best golf. And they played the best golf. Yeah. And, and listen, at the end of the day, too, the Americans got a. The uh, Tiger Woods can be captain next year and every two years <laughs> going forward. Uh-huh. Tiger can do it anytime he wants. Yep. Part of me thinks Tiger wants to do it in 25. Part of me thinks he's got enough on his plate right now. He's trying to save the PGA Tour. He's trying to to run interference. He doesn't like what he's seeing. He's now on the policy board. He is basically running. He can can run the PGA Tour. Yeah, he's got a lot going on. The players will listen to him before they're going to listen to Jay Monahan and the other policy board members. So whether Tiger is or not, I mean, it's a great competition, but I could I could do without all the sidelights. Yeah, I it, it this year particularly felt just the the Jamie Weir tweet about the hat was kind of created this entire Saturday yeah. storyline when it was the 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 results felt like it was already it was already in the yeah I out mean, of the balance. It was, it, it was. If I'm Tiger Woods, and then we'll and then we'll bring in our guest. If I'm Tiger Woods, I don't know if I want to be captain in twenty. 20- five if i am captain in 25 i also want to be captain in 27 i like tiger woods right now hunting for little different maybe feathers in his cap i don't think he's going to win another major i don't know how much competitive golf he's going to be able to play but going to ireland and winning the Ryder cup in europe when it hasn't happened in now what would be 34 years would be a really like that would that would be a really big deal. True. Some people it, it, don't think it would be a big deal, but I just oh. think like as far as another oh thing God. for him to have on his resume, like, oh man, Tiger went to Ireland and won at Adair Manor yeah. and no one has been able to do that. Versus like anyone's, I could be captain at Beth Page. I think the US oh. is going to win at Beth Page. Oh, of course, I, yeah. I, They're gonna, right? I mean, course, I, I mean there's, there's no reason to, um, you know, pound your chest because you won. I mean, Steve Stricker won in, in, yeah. 
it, yeah, it the home course stuff is and, tough. And Davis Love even captained a team that won in, in, in Hazeltine. In, in Hazeltine. Yeah. I mean, give me a break. I, 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 if Tiger does do, and I, I hope Tiger pushes everybody aside, Davis Love, Freddie Couples, Freddie Couples, I would Goodbye. love to see him push them all aside <laughs> saying, I need two captains and this and that guy. Yep. Go on and play. But truly, if he wants to take on a challenge, and Tiger Woods always loves to take on a challenge. Right, right. You are signing up for 27 in Ireland, where, by the way, Tiger Woods is beloved. Yeah. And if Rory McIlroy is the captain for Europe, I don't know if Rory will actually want to be player captain. Maybe he does. But listen, that's that's what Tiger, that's when I call Tiger tonight, that's what I'm going to tell him. Do, I, do Ireland in 27. And I want to put a pin in. You just you just mentioned Rory McIlroy as player captain in 2027. I love that idea. That's I think, incredible. I think, I think it would be cool. I, I, I think, I think this, these people saying, oh, you can't do both. I mean, we're not. This is not brain I mean, surgery. McIlroy was golf. sitting in seven-hour board meetings with the PGA Tour. He can, he can, he can and, do it. And still win, win the FedEx Cup. So yeah. I guess you can still. He hasn't won a major, but he that would be it. that would be yeah. an amazing story. Yeah. Uh, you heard it here first. Jim Cabe. Yeah. I love it. We have Tara Joy Connolly on the pod today, a Massachusetts legend, nine-time player of the year in Massachusetts, six in a row, just a really great record and really trying to just build up women's mid-am golf. So we're going to bring her in and hear about her summer playing uh, national championships and, and what she's been up to trying to grow the game and keep women involved in golf after college and, and playing mid-am stuff. So let's bring in Tara Joy Connolly. All right, I want to welcome in Tara Joy Connolly to the On Course podcast. Tara, thanks for joining us today. Hey, you're welcome. Good to see you. You've had a, a pretty busy summer competitively. Yeah, the last six weeks have been really busy, but exciting, but it's been a lot. Yeah, just to kind of set the table, you've played, and you can correct me here, at least USGA-wise, you played in the U.S. Women's Senior Open. Played in the U.S. Women's Mid-Am. I don't think these are in order of when you how you played them. And then the U.S. Senior Women's Am. Yeah, those were in order. And they were West Coast, Portland, then Philadelphia, and then Scottsdale. So going back and forth across the country. But Racking the, up the miles. But yeah, the, exactly. But the good news is it was kind of payback for the fate you had. And I know it was painful. and. Not fun to sit out golf the year before when, yeah, I mean, I think you had played ever since you were a year and a half years old, whatever. But you had played so much golf in your life. I remember you saying, I don't know what I'm going to do in the summer of 22. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of a bummer. Like looking at it, it was my last mid-am year, 49. You kind of want to go out with a bang. And, oh, I went out with a bang. I just (laughs) went out with a whimper, too. It, it was a lot to sit out, but I'm still working at Florida at the time. So I was flying back and forth because we had moved back to New England. And, and I also moved light and work for my husband at the same time. So when I wasn't working, I was working. So no. I just kind of put my head down and went. Just to let people know, you t- was a rotator cuff? Did you? I had a car accident and had a torn rotator cuff. Right. But I remember, I, I remember we talked to Tara and you were saying, like, oh, this is going to be the longest time in my life without golf since I've played. Yeah, yeah. 
And when I thought about it in the last week or so since I've been back from the senior am and a little bit disappointed in the last six weeks, I kept saying to myself, I got to be nice to myself because really we all had the summer of 2020 off in our age bracket. And then I played 2021 and then had 2022 off. So in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of not competition, more non-competition than there was competition. So you, you, you said it was a little disappointing. What, what for you, what for you did you take away from the last six weeks as far as things you're maybe looking forward to working on in the off season or just little bright spots from, from those three national championships that you guys are playing, which is pretty great. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of things I, I think I want to do with my swing. I work with Tom Kavicki over at Harmon, so he's not that far away, which is nice. And we'll we'll get down to work there and I, you know, I putting a little bit. That was definitely I didn't I didn't feel like I putted well at times. I struggled in the middle of this summer, but at times I felt like I was rolling it well enough. They just weren't going in. So I know, a little bit probably the rust showed in the putter, I would say, as far as conversions or the tour would say strokes gained, basically. Yep. Yep. Right. And then, like, there's just the grind of of qualifying for some of these events too, right? Like, what what I'm always fascinated just to hear of different golfers' mindsets going into qualifiers, playing in 18 hole qualifiers, sometimes or 36 hole qualifiers. What is your mentality? What's your mindset when you're kind of getting ready for those? When you're in them, and then you've you had some good news this year where you qualified for three, but even kind of on the back end, how do you process those? I Jim was um, just, just, let's, yeah, go ahead. You don't have to go to qualifying. Always. Exemptions are the best. <laughs> you can make your plans. You know what you're doing. You can maybe get a VRBO. How's it been? But I knew that I wouldn't be exempt from performance last year. The USGA denied my carrying over my exemption for the mid-am this year. They just don't do that for injury, I guess. And I was, would have been exempt in 2022. So I knew I had to qualify for all of them. Every All the amateurs have to qualify pretty much for the senior open unless you finish in the top 15 or something. So I knew it would be a lot of, they at least they were in like a 10-day period, the qualifiers. When I qualified for the senior open, which was kind of local here, which was nice, I right away knew that I had an issue with my senior AM qualifier. I would miss a practice round for the senior open and no one's going to do that. They give you three for a reason. I mean, especially as your first one and see what goes on. So I changed the entries were still open. I was able to change my qualifying site to go to Pittsburgh for the senior amateur. So that involved a little more travel that I didn't need and expense that I didn't need. But yeah, so be it. It was worth it. And then just as far as like playing in those rounds, what? how do you manage those those rounds are just like make make as many pars as you can pars a good score and kind of one shot at a time or are you like what's yeah, your definitely one shot at a time it's really you don't want to make it double because the chops <laughs> yep. too sunny when you have three spots maybe four spots if you're lucky with increased participation now so you really don't want to double and if you can kick in a couple of birdies it leaves yourself a little room for error so it they're they're a grind and to, to get one round eighteen hole. And it's a lot. And especially with uh more younger people in the mid am now, more people stay with golf, which is good. Good for the game, especially the women's game. So it it's a grind. They're almost more of a grind than getting there. You you, to, you just mentioned something because 
when I think of you, I think, okay, she's a player. She's competitive. She always has been and still wants to be. But she's also, Terry, you, you care desperately. You, you care deeply about how the woman's game needs to keep growing. And you, you, you use the word retention. And you want to see the medium, the women's medium, get to a point where they they have a lot of good national tournaments beyond the USGA. Yes, yeah. That was one of the reasons that I started with the Amateur Golf Alliance. We started a women's championship for mid-ams and seniors. Usually we have that May next year. We'll be here at the Bay Club in Mattapoisett. So if this shoot is free, come out and see some good golf. Oh. Yeah, but it, it was just one of those things that the men have developed a circuit for themselves, and usually it's high-end invitationals, but the women had nothing. We have a USGA mid-amateur, and that's it. And you had your state am and maybe a state mid-am, some different degrees of of strength in the field. So I really said, like, why aren't we just doing this for ourselves? It, it kind of popped up playing at in Sebring at the Harder Hall, which is now the Citrus Classic or something, right after Christmas. We're there, and there's maybe 10 true mid-ams that go play, and they do it to dust their clubs off, basically, in the middle of winter and kind of think about where they're going for the season. And it was a terrible day. I think I think the rain got sleep. The sleep ended up canceling the round when I was making the turn. I mean, in this, I'm looking at this kid who doesn't have a hat on, and the steam's coming off her head. And I'm like, I wouldn't be playing in New England if it was like this. What am I doing in Central Florida? Like, this is crazy. And... We could all be in the Caribbean and throwing money in for a tournament. Like, what What are we doing? And I'm like, I'm going to start something. And the other people said, well, we'll help you. And I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not just talking on a spool here. Like, there's no reason I can't get this done, blah, blah, blah. So sure enough, I said, this is happening. I'm doing this. And I asked the USGA for list of players, basically. And, of course, they don't share their list but from the mid-am the previous year. And and I had called over to Bob Ford at Seminole. We were living in North Palm at the time. And I said, Bob, maybe you can help me since you're Mr. Bob Jones, Mr. USGA. And he said, I've got one better for you. He's like, why don't you join me and Alan Fidel for breakfast on Wednesday morning? We always meet at 730. And, and I think he's looking to do the same thing you're looking to do. So that's how the idea was, was born to go with the Amateur Golf, Golf Alliance. I walked in. Of course, Bob was late. I knew who Alan was. He didn't know who I was. So I introduced myself and, and he said, I hear you're the woman I've been looking for all my life. But we were just kind of off to the races there talking about what we wanted to get done. And it's really coming to fruition. This was the first year, year four that we were full with a wait list, which was great, which prompted next year, we'll start a concession cup for mid-ams and seniors in October. So it's bringing an international flair to it that the men have had for a while. So. It's, it's really a great thing, and hopefully it is spreading three or four more tournaments basically around the country for mid-ams, and we had to start somewhere. How hard is it to get a tournament off the ground, just as far as? Like- the first year we had 12 sign-ups, so, and it was in a great venue, Coral Creek in Gaparilla, Florida, super high-end, beautiful golf course. And location was a little tough, but they were good to have us. We, I really wanted to get great courses, which we've done so far. So that didn't happen because we needed 50 to get going. And luckily, the next year was COVID, but Ina Kim, who was the current reigning U.S. mid-amateur champion, 
helped us get the diet preserve in Jupiter, Florida. She's a member there as well. So it doesn't hurt to have the current national champion that can they have a tournament. And so they were willing to do it in the fall of 2020. And we had 54, maybe the first year, given that it was COVID. People traveling to Florida was great. And and we were off to the races. It, it seems to me that the depth of talent is only going to help you going forward as long as the message gets out that, okay, not uh, not every Division One, Division Two collegiate woman player goes on and tries to play professional golf. They don't all do it. A lot of them do, but they don't. You don't. You just don't want them giving up golf, competitive golf. Right, and it, so you really think, okay, if like when I think 1995 when I graduated college, if there were a hundred Division One programs, maybe they were. 75 Division II, maybe 50 Division Three. If those teams were carrying five to eight people, that's a lot of golfers. And if really, if a hundred only stayed with the game, now there's thousands of Division One programs that are carrying five to eight girls, if not more, hundreds of Division Twos, hundreds of Division Threes. And so they're out there and not everyone turns pro. And yeah, it's a lot of training and people say, well, they have jobs and they get burnt out and all, all of that as well. And good. That was all always there before. So back to your retention question. If, if a hundred kept playing when there were only a thousand, we're retaining even less right now. So they need to know that there is something out there for them. I always tell the young people, like the years that I maybe haven't worked as hard or really didn't have other things to do after college, I didn't play as well. So it, it was, it, you don't have to practice and play all the time like you did in college because really isn't that what burned you out? You just need to figure out how to do it efficiently. And maybe you have more work-life balance when you're out of college and you play better. I mean, there, everybody needs to put the pieces of the puzzle together for themselves, but you can still certainly perform at a high level and, and play great golf. There's, there's also that like interesting gap in, from like 22 mid mid ams that that 25 year old cutoff and i i i mean even male college golfers who get out and they're like man i just i'm going to work and i'm kind of burnt out from competitive golf but they have like the avenue to jump back in is is pretty good is there ever any thought about like how do you, how can you keep those golfers from 22 to 25 is there like something that can be created or or just an avenue to to I don't know, let them play a little bit of competitive golf or it, that just always feels like a, a really ripe window for, for, for women golfers just to stay in the game. So with the Amateur Golf Alliance, we have the age is 23 post-college eligibility. So you have to finish your eligibility. I think Florida is doing the same thing with their state mid-am. They've dropped the number from 25 to 23. I've heard rumors the USGA is thinking about it, but they try to do everything the same with the men and the women. And they obviously have so many qualifiers for the men and two, they need two golf courses. So whether that happens, I being in sales myself for a long time now, I would say the easiest customer yet is the one you have. Keep them in the game. So we need to be keeping the 22, 23 year old in the game, not letting them walk away and trying to drag them. So it, it seems silly not to do it, especially where we want to grow the game and this demographic. But, you know, we, some people will and some people won't. Yeah. It is sometimes to tell a 23, 24-year-old that 
you're used to playing all the time, all the time. I know you can't do that anymore, but you can still, you can be around golf. You can, you don't have to play in a tournament. You can go out, just keep in the game, get other, get your children involved. I know Tom Creevy, I was talking to him recently. He married uh, Leanne Harden, who was a wonderful player at Duke. And they really invested. Obviously, he's a instructor, and she was a great player. And all of a sudden, they she's kind of re fallen in love with golf because of her children. And the idea is just don't drift so far away from it that you think it. I mean, the game has given you a lot. By the time you're eighteen, nineteen, playing at that level, the game can still continue to give you a lot. And I always think the embers are still there. Just you got to rekindle them somehow. Right. I would say definitely getting to spend that time with my parents when I was younger, learning to play. I was lucky and probably made me stick with it. My brother and sister didn't. They played, but they didn't play that much, and it didn't interest them interest them that much. So I've met Tom and and had a couple lessons with Tom Creevy when I lived in Florida. And he said Leanne was kind of getting back into it, which was great. I played with one of her Duke teammates in a practice round at the Mid-Am this year, Christina Tucker. I think she lives in Charlotte now. She was in the same boat. She's like, this is my first tournament in like 10 years. I, I play with my husband and my kids all the time. I'm super excited. Obviously, a lot of talent. She'll probably win a mid-end one day if she, she keeps grinding it out. Really nice girl. And so there's a lot of women in that bucket, I would say. that hopefully they realize they can go back and play a little here and there. I know the the woman that just won the U.S. Senior, Sarah Gallagher, we played against each other in college. And she disappeared for a while and raised her family. And really, I started noticing her coming back to golf maybe five years ago. Maybe at the Southern when I was living in Florida. And then maybe she turned up at a qualifier or so it, it's out there. It comes and it goes for women, but you know, there's no need to go away altogether. Yeah. Correct. I, uh, I chatted with Rusty Strawn, who's a Georgian, like I think he, he won the USC grand when it was a Katansid. And he, he, he said he put golf aside, you know, for ladies, like I'm going to raise my kids. I'm going to have a family. But then he turned, I think it was 45 or 46. And he laid out like a five-year plan of like, I'm going to be ready for, senior golf, which I thought was like another interesting way to kind of go about his golfing life, played college golf, kind of dabbled in the high end amateur stuff. And then it was like, he put his clubs away for a decade and came back. So yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely possible, I think, which is, which is really good. And obviously like the swell of, of college programs and just having more women to kind of keep in the game is also is also vital and and there's so many programs even just in this part of the country in new england that there's a lot of good golf d3 good golf and so that that's that's the hope that that can kind of grow you have played competitively your whole life you you have that bug except for 2021 or right 2022 what do you love about just competing and playing golf match play stroke play and and you're You've got a, an incredible resume competitively over the course of your of your golfing life. I think it's that every every round is a different challenge. JP, my husband, and I always say the game owes you nothing. You got to go <laughs> prove it every time you put the tee in the ground, right? So it, it it's the constant being able to work at something. 
putting something out there. I think the competitive part of it, I like the. This year was more about the playing, I think, where I didn't play last year. This year, this off season, I've got my plan for the process, basically. I, I do like the process. So I'm going to go back to, to what got me here, go back to the process. So hopefully it's not too long an off season. I'm really not fond of winter. So yeah, you, you spent a bunch of years in Florida in the winter. So you, you moved back. <clears throat> Your husband is the head pro at Catansit. So you came back up north. You grew up up here, so you you're, so you, you did endure some winters when you were younger. And can you just a little bit about your experience playing competitive golf in Florida? You won the Florida Mid Am Women's Stroke Play. You were 2015 Women's Amateur Player of the Year. What what was it like playing golf down there? Maybe compared to competing up in New England. It's just for one state, basically, it has such a giant golf population. I sat on the Florida State Golf Association board for a while and like just the amount of members and clubs. And so you're going to get just a higher level of competitive golfers, right? It's just a percentage thing, basically. Sure. It's not that they're not hurting anyone's feelings here in New England saying they're better down there. Yeah, I mean, no, it's, it's just, like there's a talent pool and it's just because say they might have a thousand thousand women in one county alone that are single digit handicaps. It's just a density thing. But they laid out a nice schedule basically. It was it, 2015 was really a, an awesome year. I think I would have been 42 maybe 40 41 and I just was like unconscious all year. Like I just started the year playing good and just kept playing well and it seemed like I just was firing on all cylinders, which was kind of cool. Played some good USGA events that year. The state team, I represented Florida. I think we were silver medalists and the mid-am round of 16 that year. It just lost to the winter. So what are you going to do about that? So it was just one of those years that you just hope for every year when you're thinking about it in the winter. But yeah, it was just, it was nice programming. They did a nice job. We're lucky up here. With Mass Golf, that the gal that ran it works for Mass Golf now, Jenna Walkowitz. So it's it's a nice fraternal family. I feel like I'm in both, which Mass Golf and the Florida Golf Association. So it was a thrill. Would which you when you play now? I know it's hard for all of us to because we we were all so young at heart. But the reality is, we were looking at kids playing that are half our age and. What what do you give them advice? What do what do you tell the young girls that you've seen the last few years up now that you're back up here more the seven sixteen seventeen eighteen year old? What's your what's your go to advice for them? They have to they have to do it because they love it and remember why they love. It. That's the biggest thing. Remember to enjoy it because there's a lot of pressure for them. There's a lot of people pulling them different directions. Whether it's trying to get recruited and get a scholarship or just getting themselves to the best program that they can, whether it's a combination of golf and academics or they really just want to be golfers. I think that they just have to remember, on like every golfer on the hard days, why you really love it. It's an easy game to love. I remember my mother, I used to play softball and I loved softball because it was the camaraderie of a team. Yeah. And she's like, well, I think you would really probably enjoy golf. And I was like, <laughs> well, I think I like softball. And she said, I think you, you need like 10 other people to 
to play softball. You can't just go do it yourself. I don't think the softball fields are as attractive as, as a golf course. And you'll find that you'll go lots of nice places and really enjoy life when you go play golf. So if she was right, what's up my cap to my mother? Mothers are always right. <clears throat> uh, just thinking about the younger younger players, younger generation, playing in the mid-am now, you're, you're a, officially a senior golfer. So you're playing against players who are younger than you. What, what kind of competitive advantage do you think that lends you maybe playing against players? Is there a little bit more wisdom? Is there, are there things that kind of you've learned along the way competitively that, that you, that you keep and, 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 and used to beat those pesky 25, 26 year old bidams? Yeah, you have to, you have to really, they all are, I'd say they're all six feet tall and in at 280 yards now. So you really, you have to, you have to rely on your experience. Basically go to your strengths. You have to know and evaluate your game and play to your strengths. And if they're going to hit the bar fives in two, but you know, you might, you might be a good mid iron player and know that you're going to, where you have to take advantage of the course. She is, I can just, if I know Tara, uh, she's, Chopping at the bit to start the twenty fourth competitive season. <laughs> I know she's working. I know she's got winter, but I think you'll sneak to Florida a little bit this winter. We'll do a, we'll do a couple things. I'll go down and play a tournament in December. Definitely one or two in February. Couple day tournaments, not majors, but just yeah. to get a little taste and to see to see where my if I make a little change here or there, where my game's at. When I came back last year. Spent a lot of time in a simulator over the winter when I was able to start hitting balls. And I'm not a, not a real technical person. I let Tom do that for me. And he was great. He would come down to Catanza and we'd spend an hour in the simulator. And he'd look at the track weighted numbers. And I have, honestly, I still don't really know what to mean. But he'd say, take a picture of this and make sure this number looks like this. And this number looks like that. And if you're doing that this week, then you're doing it right. And then call me. So, so that's kind of how I operate. It's kind of simple, but you know, I, I don't, I don't need to know everything. So I just need to know how to do it. Yeah. It's amazing that the young, those young, like the young players know all of those numbers. They know exactly what they want to want them to be, which has been interesting that they almost create, like they get the sense of, I'm not worried about what my swing necessarily looks like, which I think definitely in like the tiger 2000s eras, you got golfers who just wanted to look good and they wanted to look like Adam Scott. And now you've got, you got players who are like, I want to hit the numbers, the proper, the right numbers. Yeah. Which is for, just for older golfers, like trying to, I can't keep them in my head. I know some of them, but not all of them. And it's, it, you could be very technically sound and really not know how to play. I remember when we lived down there, oh God, early on when we, go, when we went down for the winters, I think I had a lesson or two with Bob Tosky. Maybe three. And he was fascinating. And then we passed him at the PGA show one year and he was having breakfast with an Australian pro that won majors, Crow. He's a Tony Crow. And they were trading stories and Toski hit his stories and he says, these kids don't know how to play. He says, I remember being at one of my last British Opens and coming to pawn so-and-so and they were trying to hit the shot into the screen and it was high and long and it was all round. And he said, Give me your clubs. And he's like, I literally dropped one ball and hit a knockdown with every club and spiked every club and walked off the court and let him kick up <laughs> his clubs, pick up all the golf. 
So there's all kinds of ways to stack up. He has some wisdom there. You need to know how to play. It doesn't have to be perfect. Playing is, is definitely something that is just a skill in its own right. Yeah, which makes the game great too, right? It's, it's the never-ending puzzle of how, how do you get the ball around the best way you can. Exactly. Don't worry about anybody else. Um, Every day is not perfect. No, that's for sure. Well, that's good news about the coming down the the, alliance, the golf line. That championship is coming to your home. That's next year, correct? May 19th through 23rd. Practice round will be the 19th. Good. Here at the Bay Club and then stroke play thereafter. So we'll do three rounds of stroke play. That's great. Yeah, we'll put that on the calendar for sure. Yeah. Uh, it's always nice to go watch good golf up close. It's it's without ropes. Um, it's it, always... it, exactly. We've I know a couple of girls have been out. Shannon Johnson and Megan Buck have been out to play. And Laura Greeley, the 2015 Mid-Amateur Champion, was up this past summer. She visited Brayburn and, hey, any chance you can have us out. So she's like, well, I love the course. Yeah, just a recon on the course. And the greens here really have been awesome all season. So... I think it's going to get a lot of good buzz. And then with qualifying for the concession cup, obviously it'll be heavily weighted at selection of the team. So I think we're going to get a really great field. That's great. Slowly but surely, right? Just build up, build up each year and, 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 and grow the game within the women's mid-am. So, well, thanks for, thanks for joining us. We will be sure to be there on May in May and, and watching and, and covering and enjoy the, in the winter as best you can. It's always a struggle here. <laughs> And uh, good luck. Good luck with your golf. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tara. Thanks, Tara. All right. That was great with Tara. Just hearing about her, her life, her, loves her golf. golf and loves yep, golf. And how she's doing it on the course and off the course and trying to encourage more people to, to come along. So let's get to our golf course confidential for this week. I'm going to a place. I'm going to bring you, Jim, to a place I haven't played in a in a while, uh, but seasonally the next two are going to be a little bit off the beaten path maybe you get some nice foliage uh, your favorite thing we're going to the ranch ah, in southwick mass southwick. have you played the ranch when it first opened okay when made was a trip oh my god like, tw- like 20 it feels like one of those courses that's maybe 20 or 30 years old it's uh, still 20 pretty. years old yeah i think okay i hate i hate thinking that but i hate <laughs> And we made the trip out there, and I loved it. And I always remember thinking, can't wait till this matures and really grows in. And it, I'm sure it has. And so I'm going to listen to you yeah. tell me about it because I'll, I'll have to go back again. Yeah, I played it in, I think it was 2018 or 2019. So it's been a while. And I, well, first off, its location in Southwick is, is Western Mass. It's like 90 miles from Boston. Mm-hmm. I met a friend who lives in Hoboken, who was up for work in Connecticut. And it's actually, that part of the state is a good, if you've got buddies who who are from New York and yeah. are adventurous golfers, it's a good meeting ground, the ranch. It is a 7,100-yard golf course. The thing that st- stands out to me in my memory and kind of going back and looking at pictures and and uh, reflecting on, on when I played there is it is some, there's some wild land and you're kind of climbing and and hitting tee shots that you can hit like you know on on the right day you could almost hit it 370 yards down you know yeah. catch these slopes and these speed slots especially on the ninth and the eh, is it the ninth? the ninth hole particularly is a par five that 
you can hit some a long drive. There's a good par three at the end that's kind of like a peninsula green. So just some really kind of good, wild Massachusetts, like not quite mountain golf. That's not the that's not the right description of it. There's a land though. There's a, I to your point. We if, if we tend to play our golf on the Cape and the South Shore, sure, Boston, we're we're playing a lot of landlocked golf courses that are built on a hundred and five acres of land. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they didn't have the option, and nothing wrong with them. That's what we have. But to go to go out there, the ranch, it feels like you are on a ranch. They had a lot of land to work with, and this is what they did with it, and it's kind of cool. Yeah, and and the other thing that's interesting about it is there are so many courses, and you hear people talk about the way golf courses are designed. A lot of places will start with where can we put the clubhouse to have kind of the best views and the best right. place and the best setting for a, a last hole or whatever. And in this case, if the ranch chose to do that, they would have put their clubhouse up basically where the ninth tee box is at the top of they got because they, they have a huge hill you can see for miles. See everything. And instead there it's actually at the lowest part of the land. I don't know why they chose to put it down there, but it kind of works because you play flat golf and then you start to climb and then the ninth hole kind of drives you back down, which I also think is kind of an interesting way to to experience a golf course because so many times like Great Horse, right? You go to Great Horse and yeah. that that clubhouse and the first few holes and 18 are up on the hill and you play down and then it's flat. This is kind of the reverse which which I liked some some big drops as a par three that you can almost barely see the green from the tee box, yeah. and not because it's yeah. blind, but because it's so steep so downhill. Steep, yeah. You're you're kind of hitting and hoping that, that it hits the apex at the right point and just kind of falls the ball falls straight out of the sky. It's a pretty good price. I mean, you're going out there, so if you're driving out 90 minutes because you live in Boston or kind of this that the area, you're driving 60 minutes. It's 90 bucks. On the weekdays and a hundred on the weekends. I don't think that includes a cart. And you can play after two o'clock right now for seventy five bucks if you're a, a Twilight golfer. You might be chasing the sun a little bit as the, yeah. the days get short. But I mean, for some of the prices people might play pay to play around this area, you got you got places that are charging one hundred fifty bucks close to the city. I'm not going to yeah. name names, but the ranch is kind of a good if you're yeah. if you're looking for a place to drive and play and just play somewhere yeah. different, get some foliage. On yep. the drive out, and it's a it's a it's a in a great setting. The ranch is is kind of great. Yeah, and listen, we say it all the time. We're blessed to have so many great courses up here. We are, but they do us no good if we don't go to. Yeah, I yep. mean, if we sit and so if you do like I do, and I see you certainly do. Half the fun of playing golf is getting out and playing somewhere new. Yeah, in in ninety minutes and not that. Big a deal. No, no miles. Not really. No. So go check out the ranch. They also have a great restaurant in a barn, like a big, big barn. My buddy and I had a had a meal before. We both hit the road and went our separate ways. But the ranch in Southwick, Mass, ninety bucks weekdays, hundred bucks weekends, wild land. Uh, pardon, me, pardon me, Sean. Producer, yes. producer note golf course opened in July two thousand one. July two thousand one. Ah, so look at that. Good. Not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> Memory hasn't completely faded. Yeah, bad. Jim was twenty four years spry, twenty four yes. years old, and yeah. and just I think. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. So the ranch, Southwick, Mass. Go check it out. Ninety bucks, hundred bucks, pretty good deal for some for some really good golf out in Western Mass. Thanks for listening to On Course, the New England Golf Journal podcast. 
As always, please rate, review, subscribe on your preferred platform. We are also on YouTube. So if you're listening to this on, on podcast, you can also see the podcast on YouTube. So that would be great if you check that out and subscribed. Thanks to Dave Yaz for producing this podcast and helping us out with the ranch opening day. On Course Podcast is a Siemens Media production. Thank you.